Turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 131. Appreciate uh, Dale already reading it for us, so there we are. Uh, and, uh, but uh, I think uh, you might want to have it in front of you as we study a little bit. For those of you who are wondering where we are, um, I've been <clears throat> teaching through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and last week was 2 Samuel 9. Um, I'm going to take a little break and go to, we've been looking at the life of David, I'm going to look at some of the Psalms of David. Uh, for a while, and I'll also uh, give a few of the other great preachers around here a chance to preach between here and Christmas, and then um, some psalms at the first of the year, and then come back to Second Samuel. Uh, but I want you to kind of see some of the stuff that's going on in the psalms that are happening at the same time as the life of David in Second Samuel. So I'm not abandoning Second Samuel. I, I do want to finish that book, Lord willing, and I'll just come back to it after we've done some of the psalms that are consistent with that time frame. What's the thing about Psalm 131? Here's a principle that I think David lived by from the time we left him in Jerusalem as king over Jerusalem and over Israel. He was a, he was a king who lived small with big dreams, and I want us to think about that this morning. It reminded me of a time uh, I was scheduled to preach in Loosedale, Mississippi. Now, in seminary, especially your last year there, you could sign up for all these churches that were anywhere within, you know, three or four hour drive. They wanted seminary preachers to fill the pulpit because they didn't have anybody to preach. Well, this, so I, I signed up. I went somewhere every week I could go. And this particular week, I got the assignment to go preach in Loosedale, Mississippi. It's at a two-church field. So one church was in a small storefront where they were trying to start a new church, and the other one was, was an old church out in the country. I was supposed to preach both places. There was about a 20-minute drive between. had 30 minutes to make it. So you had to preach, get done, jump in the car, and go to the next church and preach. <clears throat> well, looking forward to it. Went there. And, and by the way, this was before GPS mapping on smartphones, okay? So I had two sets of directions in this file. I was assigned to go. had two sets of directions. I looked at them and said, you know, that's a little confusing. And so I went to the first church, and I preached, and I, I showed the directions to somebody. I said, you know, obviously you know the preacher leaves here and goes to this next church. I said, I like this set of directions. He said, yeah, I'd go with that. I said, okay. So we took off. Needless to say, I get to the next, well, I get to where the next church is supposed to be, and there's no church. And I'm thinking, oh, man, throw that set in the floor, look at the other set. Where, where are we wrong? Because that one doesn't work. And, you know, I've got just a few minutes, so I'm running down these old country roads, uh, no signs uh, in the country, and just trying to get there. Finally show up about five minutes late. This is an old colonial-style um, country church. The last half of mile to this church is a dirt road. It looked like the church you would have seen on, if you watched the movie The Patriot. You know, wooden, colonial, gorgeous church in, in a gorgeous, you know, huge oak tree, pine tree setting. Um, so I walked in. It was hardwood floors like this. I've got kind of rubber heels now, but I had dress shoes that, you know, hard soles. So I walk in on a hard surface, you know, it, it sounds more like a woman in high heels, I guess, than this. Uh, but you, you heard the click, clack, click, clack. As soon as I opened the door, you know, faces turned, my feet started making noise. 
I felt like a bride on the wedding day. You know, it's like you bust in the door and everybody turns and looks at you. It's like, well, I am somebody. I'm significant. And all of a sudden, it began to realize they're waiting on me. I mean, you can be late as a member, but you can't be late as the preacher. And everybody's waiting on me to do something. So I, I walk, you know, and every row is turning, looking at me. I go all the way to the front where the organ was, and there was a lady sitting up there. No music was playing. It was dead silent. I said, okay, where's your order of worship? What do we do first? You know, I'm whispering this. I think everybody heard. I was like, we don't have an order of service. We're expecting you to do that. I think, really? I mean, Back in those days, it's three songs in the doxology. I mean, that's all you got to do. You know, pick something out. And she said, I don't know what you want to play. I don't want to play anything. I want you to play it. What, 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 what can you play? I'd already been to so many churches. I quit saying, could you play this? I started saying, what can you play? Because I want to pick from your list. You know, what are your best songs? You know, I'm thinking, give me amazing grace. Give me, uh, there's, there's no other hope but in Christ alone. Give me, you know, nothing but the blood. Give, give me something everybody knows, and you can play. You can nail it. And so we come up with three songs real quick. I said, okay, these three songs, this is where you put them. Here's the doxology. This is where we do the offering. I kind of wrote it out on a scratch sheet of paper, gave it to her, and I jumped behind the pulpit. And we started. Here I, I told the congregation, sorry I'm late. Let's stand. Let's sing. You know, and we started singing holy, holy, holy. And man, everybody's faces kind of lit up. Things started looking lively. I said, man, this is good. We're going. We're going now. You know, and the lady on the front, we got to nothing but the blood. And she was, ah, oh, nothing but the blood. And she was just letting her head, head go back and singing, power in the blood, power in the blood. And I thought, man, this is awesome. I mean, they're they loving this leadership, and we're into it. We're going. And I just kept feeling bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, because I'd already preached this sermon once. I got to the sermon, and I thought, I've already preached this once this morning, and quite frankly, I nailed it. This is going to be nothing short of miraculous. So I jumped into the sermon and began to forget it. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? And I forgot so much of it. I, to this day, I don't even know what I preached. Um, it was just incoherent. It wasn't good at all. It wasn't impressive. I did not nail it. And I walked out of that church feeling small, insignificant, worthless, feeling like a failure. And I've often reflected upon that experience. And upon reflection, I've often thought, if I had have gone into the church the way I came out, perhaps I would have come out the way I went in. See, I went in thinking I was Superman. Thinking I could nail this. Thinking I can take these people somewhere. They're obviously people who need a leader. They don't have any direction. And I'm their man. I went out feeling like I didn't take them anywhere. Like that was just a failure. I ruined it for them. That wasn't significant. I wasted a Sabbath day for those folks. I went out thinking, you know, just like the Apostle John, I said, Christ needs to increase. I need to decrease. I went in with far too big a view of myself. 
And I needed a smaller view of me and a bigger view of God. And I think that's where uh, David gets us in Psalm 131. He's got this big view of God and this small view of him. And when you're back in 2 Samuel seeing him wipe out nations and expand the kingdom and just do significant stuff, I want you to realize one of the reasons that's happening is because of his view of himself. is so humble, so small. His view of God is so big. His hope in God is so significant. It really changes everything. Let me start with a question. Are you free to be little? Are you free? Are you freed up? That you could be small in your own estimation of yourself? Are you freed up to be insignificant if Christ can become big? If God can be all in all? Are you free in your philosophy, in your way of life, are you free to be little and let God be big? I think that's where David was. And I hope that through this psalm, you begin to get that freedom and see the significance of being a vessel in the palm of God's hands. Let's begin with verse 1. Oh, Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. Nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Man, that's a pretty significant statement. My heart is not proud. I'm not a proud man. I'm not haughty. I don't think of myself as being significant, being somebody. And I don't even get involved in things that are big and great or in things that are difficult. You know, when I first read that, I said, Okay, that, but that's hard to believe. We're talking about David here. That's hard to believe. Can, can we embrace those words? That I'm not haughty, I'm not proud, I don't work on matters that are great, too great, or too difficult. You see, David's not saying these words. It'd be one thing to say them, another thing to live them. We get that. But he's not just saying them, he's praying them. Did you catch the first two words? Oh, Lord. Be one thing for me to say to you, I don't consider myself a proud man. You don't know me. You don't, you don't search the recesses of my heart. But before God, everything is open and laid bare. God sees every, God hears every thought we have in our head. And David is, is not just saying these words to us. He's coming before God in a, in a time of personal, alone, devotions, in prayer, saying, Lord, you can search me. I am not proud. I don't have a haughty bone in my body. I never push myself up into things too difficult or too great. It bothers me even to this day to hear people say, you know, get on their knees and pray, Lord, we come before you humbly. And I'm thinking, I know you. You're not humble. Are you wanting lightning to strike? You know, if you're going to talk to God, be honest. And here we have David talking to God, honestly saying, 
I'm not proud. I'm not haughty. I don't go there. Well, like uh, Dale said earlier, this is a short psalm. It doesn't take long to read this. Spurgeon said about it, he said, it is a short psalm to read, a long psalm to learn. When you just stop and talk about your own sense of pride, it's, it takes a long time to learn how to be humble before God. Not just nice to one another, but humble before God. And that's where David is. He says that he doesn't involve himself in things too difficult. Now, that's, that, that, again, that bothers me. What could be more difficult than to be the king of Israel? To be the king of an expanding nation. You know, we talked about how he's expanding it to the north, expanding it to the south, how the whole kingdom was, was, was growing. I mean, you've got a million plus people in the army that report to you. That's pretty, pretty, pretty difficult and big. I mean, you've got household servants, you've got multiple wives, all these children, and you're not involved in something big? This is, this is a little bit hard for me to swallow when I read these words. I don't involve myself in things too difficult. I, well, you got all of this? You can handle this? Look it up. And the phrase, things too difficult, literally means things above me. And it, David is basically saying, I don't push the door open. I don't push into things that are shut to me. I don't knock the door down and just go for it. We'll see this more in verse 2, how he's, how he's content to stay where he is. He says, I don't push myself up into high matters, is another way of saying, in these wonderful, marvelous areas. What he's basically saying is, I let God take me there. God, you know that what I'm involved in, I am involved in because you've taken me there. It wasn't because I was patting myself on the back and pushing myself forward. Think about human ambition. I like people who are ambitious. I like people who set goals. I like people who, who go for it. You do. I mean, those are leaders. David is saying, I don't have a problem with ambition. I don't have a problem with, with walking through the do next door, doing the next thing. I don't have a problem going someplace, but I don't push myself into it. If the door's shut, I stay on this side. I don't knock it down. I let God open it for me. I don't push myself forward into those matters. As far as I'm concerned, they're too great and too difficult for me. I'll wait till God says I'm ready. And that's what he does. That's his lifestyle. You saw it from when he was a shepherd boy to, to where he's king. He keeps waiting on God to open the door and take him to the next place. You know, we love ambition so much, we need to stop and ask. You know, evaluate what you're pursuing, what you're doing. Are, are you asking, are you really praying, God, don't let me be the one who's so proud to think I can nail this. I can open this door, I can walk through this, and I can get it done. Let me be the person who says, Lord, I'll wait on you. You open the door. You lead me. If it's what you've called me to do, if it's where you want me to go, I will follow, no matter what it is, because I know all things are possible with you. It's not too great if I'm doing it in Christ. But I'm not going to push myself into it thinking, I got this. So many times, 
I want, my first thought is, I got this. And my first thought needs to be, God, is this what you want? Is this your will? Is this your direction for my life? That's where David was. Um, you know, l- let me give you a principle. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Excuse me, chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. 1 Peter chapter 5. Here's a principle you see it all through Scripture, but here's it's expressly stated. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. There's submission. Be young men, submissive to those in authority over you. And all of you, so it jumps from that to all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's the principle you see all through Scripture. God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. God's opposed to proud, but he loves to exalt the humble. That's the principle. David understood the principle. He lived by that principle. He says, so God, I don't push myself forward. I'm not, I, don't, I have ambition, but it's not unruly ambition. I don't rule. I submit to the authorities you've put over me, and I will only rule when you take me there, when you exalt me to that place. And we see that that's what David is saying in Psalm 131, verse 1, that uh, he's humble before the Lord. You think about some of the great men in Scripture, the father of our faith, Abraham, what did he say about himself? Right after the covenant of circumcision, right after God says, Abraham, I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to bless nations through you. Abraham's response, Genesis 18, God, I am, can I venture to say this, Lord? I'm I'm only dust and ashes. I'm only dust and ashes. You sure you want me? God says, yeah, you're the man. And he moves forward. Becomes the great father of our faith. Our King David, here in Psalm 131, I'm just a shepherd boy. I'm the least in my family. There's a lot of stronger, bigger, better brothers than me. God said, no, you're the one. You're humble. You're not proud. You follow. And I'm going to use you as the leader. So he uses him. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, what did he say? Christ must increase, I must decrease. It's not about me. The Apostle Paul, the the greatest writer and missionary of the New Testament, he says, I am the least of all apostles. Don't ever look at me and say, I'm the significant one. I'm the least. God says, you're the right man. Through much suffering, I will exalt you. You will lead my church. You look back at the greatest leaders. They all followed the same principle. God is opposed to the proud. But marvelously uses the humble. He exalts the humble. So are you free to be little? Are you free to be humble? Are you free to be small? Are you free to ask God What's the next step? 
Where do you want me to go? What have you prepared me for? Not what do I want to do. But what do you want, God? What's your assignment for me? Uh, you know the, the verse in Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Let me show you the last part of that principle. Look at Proverbs chapter 15. Again, it's so easy for us to neglect this. Proverbs 15, verse 33. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. There it is again. You want honor. You want the honor that comes from being wise. To get wise, you have to fear the Lord. But if you want the honor, you have to have the humility. Before the honor, God doesn't provide the honor until he sees the humility. That's God's principle over and over throughout the word of God. Consider our need for humility. Oh, it's one other passage. I, I, I love this because it, it, it really hit me right after that Loosedale, Mississippi event. I was reading in the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is not the fun book to read because Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He's, he's, he's often crying. He's very sad. His, his town, his city, where he ministers is all about to be destroyed. And as he's seeing the army surrounded and uh, people come against his place, he sits before kings. They ask this prophet to give, give wisdom. And he, when you sit before kings, you often have opportunity to get stuff. And there was this time where he had opportunity to get stuff. And his, his scribe, by the way, Jeremiah wasn't the writer. Baruch, that's his scribe. Baruch wrote down what Jeremiah said. And there's this opportunity before Baruch to get stuff. And you, you find this in Jeremiah 45, just a short little chapter. And it's like Jeremiah looks up one day and he sees into Baruch's heart that he's, he's looking for an opportunity to get stuff and build his life up. And he, Jeremiah just says to Baruch, Baruch, are you trying to make a great life for yourself? And he doesn't wait for an answer. He says, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Are you seeking great things for yourself? He said, I wouldn't do that. Because that's not the way we live. We let God seek great things for us. We seek a great God. And you've got to understand the difference. Seek a great God. If he wants to exalt you, fine. But if not, be content, be humble, be under his leadership, guidance, and direction. That's where Jeremiah lived. That's where Baruch was taught to live. That's what we need to see. Consider our need for humility. What, break it all down. What does that mean? It means you don't have to be super mom. You don't have to be super dad. You don't have to be the best CEO. You don't have to be the sports hero who makes the touchdown, who scores the gold or whatever. What we need is humility before God. If God wants to exalt you to any of those places, great. But that doesn't have to be your drive. That doesn't have to be your plan. That doesn't have to be your measure of success that you've exalted yourself. You've achieved this status. 
the measure of success is that we sat humbly with our God and watched as we prayed him open doors and take his places he designed us to be at and things he wanted us to do. Sometimes we set this agenda for ourselves without even considering God. God's not even in the picture. Evaluate where you are. Are you humbly before God? Are you free to be little? Are you going to say, God, if you're not going to make me X, Y, Z, I'm going to forget you and I'm going to do my own thing. Well, I wouldn't do that. You seeking great things for yourself? I wouldn't go there. Because I know that's not going to turn out the way you want. And you're going you're gonna to find constantly failure after failure after failure trying to be the greatest. You know, is God really leading you there? If not, stand down. Second verse, Psalm 131. Surely, David says, I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rest against his mother. My soul's like a weaned child within me. If the first verse is about humility, I made the second verse about happiness. Dale was right. It's really more about contentment than happiness, but happiness fits my alliteration. And I know that bothers some of you. Get over it, okay? Let me show you how it fits. If you're happy, the only reason you got happy really is because you were content with something. Contentment really is at the base. That's the foundation of happiness. They, they are very much related. David says, I am composed, or you're, I'm quiet. I'm like a weaned child that rests. So you don't get the picture of a child striving after food that it's used to enjoy. The child is resting uh, in its mother's arms. David said, that's who I am. Um, so that I don't go around thinking that I'm worthless or insignificant. I just go around thinking I'm in the palm of my God's hand. Just like a child is in the arms or hands of its mother. It's content there. It rests there because the child knows mom's got my back. Mom's never failed to feed me. The fact that she won't feed me breast milk now and she's weaning me, she's making me eat something else... I really need to quit striving with that and quit worrying about that because she's, she's going to take care of me. I'm okay. I'm in the palm of my mom's hands. And he says, in the same way, that's the way I am with my God. I'm very content to just rest in the arms of Jesus. And things are going to be okay. It's a content place. And if you get content with that and you see where God leads you, it's, it's to a place of happiness. Um, he learns not to fight authority. He learns not to fight the things he can't change. He just accepts it, just as a child does with its parents. So let's put verse 1 and 2 together in perspective when you see it. I'm willing to be low and humble. I'm willing to rest in my God's hands because that's going to take me to a good place. I'm content with that. What if God doesn't open the door? What if God doesn't make you the superhero? Okay, I'm content. I will still eat, I'll still drink, I'll still have everything I need, I'll be happy. You know, it's why you hear Jesus say, don't worry about what you should eat, don't worry about the clothes you should put. I got that. I got your back. Worry about what, what I want to do with you. Be humble. Be in the palm of my hand. Just rest in me. Just seek me first. 
David got that. That's where he's living in verse 2. And he uses that simile of the, the child in its mother's arms. It's just wonderful to think. Um, as you look at a child, how content they can be when mom picks her up. Mom picks him up. It's just, it's just a wonderful picture of our life with God. Um, it's not easy making the choice for happiness. You have to wake up every day and make a choice. I choose to be happy. How can I guarantee that I'll be happy? I choose to be happy because I'm going to choose to be content. I'm going to only do and only say and only go where God wants me. He's my designer. He's planned my life. I'm going to stay with that. And if I'm content with that, I'll find happiness. If you're not content with that, you want to push yourself up into things too great for you, difficult for you, you want to bust the door down, you get frustrated, you get kicked back, all sorts of things. Why? Because you weren't content with God's plan. You didn't even seek God's plan. You just sought your plan. When you're content with God's plan, you don't go there, and so you're happy. Now you see how David lived his life, and God used him greatly as a result of that. Um, you know, it's tough being content. We've grown up in a world where we think we, we need so many things. Um, I remember one uh, summer in college, I just needed a two-month place to stay. I was, was between jobs, between semesters, different things going on. I asked everybody I know, do you, really, I think I only needed a month. Does anybody know somebody I can live with for a month? I don't want to go back home. I got things, ministry, uh, where I was at up in Chattanooga. I said, I got ministry there. I don't want to come back to South Carolina because I have to give up my ministry. I need a place to stay. And somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, and that's where I went. And I got to this guy's house, didn't know him. And it was down to, you know, a dead-end road. Weeds were about this high in the yard. I could tell this is not somebody who gives a lot of attention to upkeep. I go in, he, I said, somebody told me that you wouldn't mind if I stayed here for, for a month. He said, no, man, we're, we're taking a summer trip to out west. House is yours. I said, that's cool. He said, well, look around first before you agree. He says, because I'd like for somebody just to keep an eye on things. I said, okay. So I looked around, and I be, noticed immediately that there, wasn't, there, there weren't windows. There were just holes. Uh, it was, you know, one of those kind of make-your-own-lock homes, and he hadn't got to the window part. And there weren't doors between bedrooms. There was just holes. Check out the bathroom. Just hole. But at least he had a piece of plastic that you weren't supposed to see through, I guess. And I didn't realize I was going to be sharing this with a few other folks at the time. Electricity. Had it for the rear fridge, had it for the kitchen, no electricity in the bedrooms yet, which meant at dark, I mean, you're done. It's dark. Well, I took that for about a week. When the other people moved in, it got kind of, it just got rough. You know, but I never will forget what he said. He said, David, if, if, if you see something here that you need, he says, let me tell you, learn to get along without it. And I said, in other words, it's not coming. It's not going to be provided by the time I get here. So we had no electricity in the bedroom, no air conditioning, no, no heat, uh, no lights in certain places, piece of plastic covering the bathroom for privacy. You know, do I need any of those things? Lots of people in the world don't have those things. 
But I had grown accustomed to them. And I had to struggle with a while, am I content to live life the way God might want me to live it? Does he want me to learn how to live for a while without air conditioning, without uh, electricity? They had chickens running everywhere, roosters waking you up at 3 and 4 in the morning. Who's, who said those things crow at dawn? They don't. They crow all night long. And the stuff that I learned there that I wouldn't have learned anywhere else, but that's the door God opened for me. And I walked through and says, now, let's see if you can be content here. Let's see if you can live with this. Will you live in the palm of God's hands? If it means you don't get some of your comforts, would you be content there? Because if you can get content there where God wants you, you can get happy. You'll have a happy life because you, you know all the time, I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. As long as I can do what God wants, I'm content and I can be happy with that. We have to keep telling ourselves that's where it's at. It's not... If you can, you know, you can dream it, you can achieve it, you know, you got to achieve, you got to achieve, and if you can't achieve, you can't be happy. That's not the message of the Bible. And that was not the lifestyle of David. You know, even some of the greatest people that are looking for happiness, um, Rockefeller, one of the first billionaires, they were, they asked him one time, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. You'd look at that in some of our society. I, I won't be content unless I get a little bit more. Um, I was interested in, in watching the 60-minute the, uh, um, interview of Tom Brady, the NFL quarterback who's got five Super Bowl rings. You know, so that subject's going to come up. And as they asked Tom Brady, you know, going into his, his next Super Bowl, you got all these Super Bowl rings I mean, when's enough? Well, he said, yeah, man. He said, his, his answer, is, he said, it's exactly right. I got these Super Bowl rings, and I just feel like there's something more out there. I, I just keep going. There's got to be something more. And the interviewer said, exactly. What is it? You know, so everybody like, have you thought this through? Do you have the answer? And Tom Brady's answer was, shook his head, I don't know. And I was screaming, it's Jesus. I don't think he heard me. They need to put microphones on those televisions so you can tell them. It's, it's eternal life in Christ. There is something more. It's being content. It's resting in the arms of Jesus. There's so much more than achievements in life. There's so much more than a million dollars. I know kids right now in college say, I will make a million dollars by the time I'm 30. That's their ambition. They're trying to achieve it. Look at the guy who shot 58 people in Vegas and wounded so many more. He already had a million. He was on antidepressants. He's depressed. You don't reach the dream by getting a million and by having all the pleasures society offers. Our society model is wrong. And we've got to see that. Our hope needs to be in Jesus. And that's where verse 3 takes us. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. He said, I'm content, I'm humble. And then he turns from his prayer to a message. 
O Israel. You know, it started, O Lord. Now it's, O Israel. Listen, as I'm thinking through my life, this humble, contented life, I want you guys to know this is the answer. The only way I can get here is I have hope that God's in charge. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. He will exalt the humble. I have hope in that. That's the principle of life. I have hope that God understands. God knows what he's doing. He's leading me somewhere. You need to have the same hope. Hope in the Lord. What a, what a passion. He says, I want to take you where I've been, where I am. That's in this wonderful, content, humble life in Christ. Where's your hope? Our society's wrong. They don't have it. They think it's, it's always climbing the ladder of success. It's going up. And I got to go up to achieve, to earn, to get. And when I get there, I will finally be happy. And we see week after week, just look at the entertainment section, somebody committing suicide because they have no millionaires billionaires committing suicide they have no hope look at the life of christ philippians chapter 2 i want to read verses 6 through 11 philippians 2 verse 6 who although he christ although christ existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. What's the example of Christ? He didn't climb up the ladder. Christ came down the ladder. We always think the way up is up. No, the way up is down. Christ came down the ladder. He says, I'm at the top. I've got it all. I'm God, and I can grasp Godness, but I choose not to. I choose to go down the ladder. I choose to pour myself out. I choose to empty myself. I choose to be a servant. Verse 7, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him. You see that principle again. Those who are humble, God loves to exalt. This reason God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the right life. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the one who shows us. You come down. You be the servant. You rest in the palm of God's hands. You see what God's called and designed you to do, and you do it. And you get content with it. And you watch God give you happiness through it. And you watch God bless you. You watch God exalt you. Um, Think of the beauty of that. Are you free to be little? Dream big, yes. Dream big of being one that's used by God into eternity and the significance of that. But that path starts with being free, really, to be little. As we take the Lord's Supper this morning, 
instead of turning to another passage and directing you there, I just want you to think, if, if you want to take this this morning, Jesus is basically standing before you and said, are you willing to be humble? Are you willing to be like a little child and realize all your sufficiency comes from me? Are you willing to realize that you need life? Take the bread. I got life. I can give you that. You need your sins covered? My blood covers your sin. As you take this morning, let it be a declaration. I need the sufficiency of Christ. I need his life. I need his blood to cover my sins. I don't need to do one more thing to achieve. I need to humbly rest in Christ. Let him lead and direct and take me to those places. Let it be a time where you say, God, I really need Jesus. I need to be able to say, I'm not haughty, I'm not proud. It's really about Jesus. If that's your confession, you're free to take the Lord as the host, not me, not this church. We give this to you so you can have this time with the Lord. If you're not ready to say, Christ is my sufficiency, don't take, because that's the, decla that's the declaration I take. So don't take, don't play with God. Uh, just let it go by and let this be a time of you for you to meditate and reflect on, on those who have found true meaning in Christ. I'm going to ask the elders and deacons to come forward and we will distribute these to you. Let me pray for us while they come. Father, we ask that you would take this ordinary bread and wine and, and let it be this memorial, this remembrance of Christ's life, his death, his blood being spilt for us. Father, let us not only see it as a memory, but let us see it as nourishment. We ask, O oh Spirit, that you would come and that you would show us we need to turn from sin and turn to living for Jesus rightly. Let us learn from Psalm 131 to be humble and content and to hopeful in you. Father, we come to declare that that's the life we want. Nourish us through the life and blood of Christ now for that. For your glory and honor, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.